0: I'm Julianne, a naturally curious person who thrives on having a great conversation. We're glad you're tuning in. On our show, Maddox Stripes, I'm honored to dive into the minds of talent experts and business leaders about how they earn their stripes, their lessons learned, and their tips for you, our listeners, about the ever-changing world of talent, hiring, growth-making, and mover-shaking. In this week's episode, we connect with Becky, CEO of BPD Strategy and formerly with Boss Babe and Spire Digital. Becky is one of the most motivated people I know. How does she manage to get so much done? You'll have to listen to find out. Of course, she credits the village of supportive humans and leaders who have supported her career evolution over the years in addition to other great resources. Catch her diving into the lessons she learned early on in her career that I'll bet many of us can relate to. Tune into Maddox Stripes to learn more about this up-and-coming CEO. privilege of chatting with Becky, a one-time aspiring architectural designer turned product designer turned product leader who recently pivoted into being her own boss as CEO of BPD Strategy. Becky, we're grateful to have you on the show. Listeners, you're in for a treat. To kick us off, Becky, what are you feeling grateful for this week?
1: I'm grateful for just time to slow down. I feel like July is that time of year where everybody gets to just chill a little bit. And I'm planned my work around that. So this month is a lot about like creation, being outside, uh, sweating, because it's like humid everywhere, <laughs> I swear. And yeah, I'm just grateful for your time to relax.
0: I love it. That's awesome. What's something that you're questioning or curious about right now? Uh, Anything...
1: I'm really hot on this like productized service topic. So like with my business, I've been trying to create a few different productized services. You know, we both have that background in agency side. And I think a lot of times we create these one-off proposals that are different for every single client. And right now I'm really interested in like what is a repeatable service that's super valuable that I know is going to drive the result the client wants and create that container for that to happen and repeat so that I don't have to focus so much on the ops of the business because it's not like there's custom proposals going out every day. So right now, very interested in like productized service, which I feel like is having this renaissance and we're not calling it retainer or fixed fee project. We're calling it like a product, even though it's a service, you know what
0: I mean? Yeah, which is super interesting because when we were back at Spire, the word product was not having a moment the way that it is now. Like if people weren't googling digital product offerings or services, if you remember, that's what Spire was called at the time—a digital product, you know, development company. So yeah, it's interesting how things are cyclical or come in waves, um, and now it is having its moment. Yeah, for sure. Becky, you you pivoted from architecture to UX design to product leadership to now founder. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you felt confident or at least ready to make these moves. What's a hot tip or takeaway you'd like to share with listeners?
1: (laughs) I think, unfortunately, all of those big pivots came with being really unhappy. And I'm not okay being unhappy. Like, I think... And probably one of my personal pet peeves, which like, I don't know how important this is to share, but one of my personal pet peeves is like being really stuck or unhappy and doing nothing about it. And so I think it's one of my personal ethos. So like, if I'm not happy with the way things going, or if I want to change, I'm gonna make sure I make that change. And so when I went from architecture to UX, I was right out of college, my salary was very low. And I struggled to pay my student loan bills. Like, how do you go to college for five years, get this architecture degree, work at architecture firm, and I can't pay the bills for the architecture degree? Like, I was like, this sucks. Life has to be better than this. Like, I'm supposed to be able to afford a dinner out now. Like, I can't. So I think that's where I was at. And I, you know, had some personal stuff going on too. And I was like, you know what, there's got to be something else. And I basically was like Googling things And that's when I discovered UX design. Like many other people that (laughs) end up in UX, you know, you discover it later because it wasn't something you could study in school at the time, you know, moved across the country. I went to one of those tech boot camps for 12 weeks and I did some freelancing for a while to get some projects under my belt. And then I landed my job at Spire and I was there for five years. So that was phase one. (laughs) Yeah. And then I guess while I was there, I kind of sat in almost every seat except engineering because like, I just keep following my curiosity. Like what are what are the things I'm interested in? What do I learn? want to learn more about? And then I go after that. And so with Spire, like starting out as a product designer, I remember working on a project with our friend Michaela and she was in the product seat and I was in the designer seat and I was like whiteboarding like the user flow. Like here's the process we should do as part of building out this entire product Greenfield build. And she's, she looked at it and she was like, I think you would be good at my job. <laughs> and that's kind of how that started. I like went to Nick Coppola and I was like, Hey, can you teach me how to do products?
0: So amazing. I love it. I think curiosity is going to end up being a bingo word for this podcast. I think that's the magic recipe for step one, leaning into your curiosity, doing something with it.
1: Yeah, I believe in that hardcore. Like if I'm, if I feel a pull towards something, I don't push that feeling away ever. Whether that's like, I really want to try this restaurant or bar, or I really want to walk down this path when I'm on a trail hiking, or I want to go on a new path in my career. Like, you got to follow that, that energy that's pulling you somewhere.
0: Yeah. And that voice. Well, I think that's great because I think that for many people is the hardest part listening to that voice or that energy pull, as you said. So kudos to you for having the drive. I don't know. Do you think it's drive? Do you think it's confidence, faith? Like what, where does how are you able to make that leap at time and time again?
1: I think a little bit of like ignorance is bliss. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't know what you don't know. Had I known how hard things would be every time, like you wouldn't actually do it. You ever talk to like, or I can't even think of a name, but famous people who have been successful in business will say like, oh, if I knew what I had to go through, I wouldn't have done it. (laughs) So I think it's kind of like a little bit of ignorance and a little bit of not caring what people think. Like, especially now, right? Like I'm starting my own business. People aren't going to get it. People are going to laugh because I'm posting reels on Instagram. (laughs) Like, but I don't care. You know, because I know that somebody's gonna watch that and it's gonna inspire them to take action. And so I think I'm also really driven by inspiring other people to pursue their curiosity or dreams. And if people don't get that or are jealous, maybe, like that's on them.
0: Well, I love that. I love that for you. And I love that for anyone listening to this. And on that note, that makes me wanna ask you who has inspired you? Besides, I imagine yourself, you, I feel like you inspire you, but are there (laughs) any other third parties that you would speak to?
1: I think also like competence breeds confidence. Just to like touch on that for a second, because whenever I'm like not feeling confident or feeling like really, and I still feel imposter syndrome, everybody does, but whenever I feel that way, I just try to learn more. So I think also trying to like build up that competence. And I learned that phrase, um, from Danielle Canty. So she's definitely one of the people I look up to and a mentor of mine. She's the co-founder of Boss Babe. And she's amazing. So that's one person. Lately, I'm obsessed with Mickey Agrawal. She was mm-hmm. the co-founder of Thinks, the Period Underwear, and also yeah. Tushy Bidets. And her book is so good. It's called Disrupt Her. And she talks about I, I got to see her at a conference, and that's when like I really became uh, like obsessed with just following her path because she's like innovates in taboo categories, which is just really cool. And she's a woman. So amazing. Um, Yeah. Those are my absolutely. picks right now. Oh, also Julie Zhu, who was the VP of product design at Facebook forever. Like, I don't know for how long, but she was one of the first 200 employees, I think. And then now she has her own company and she's building her own stuff, but she's just a really inspiring Leader, and I love her book, *The Making of a Manager*. It's a really good book mm, for
0: right. what when,
1: when I first became a manager at Spire. I was it's on my shelf over here. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was reading that book. I was like, "This is the best book for management."
0: I remember that book. That's great. Love that list. If you consider that your career has acts, which act would you say you're in today, and what are some ambitions you have for this act?
1: Uh, in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm at Act One. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's act two, I guess. I don't know. Acts are like big. It feels like.
0: What makes you say act one? Because I've always felt
1: very entrepreneurial. And this is like, I'm just starting that path. I mean, I've always side hustled. You know that. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it just feels like a really new chapter. And so maybe it's act two. But in a lot of ways, it feels like I'm just starting.
0: Fair enough. So switching into some career conversation here, how has a past mistake set you up later for success? Can you think of a favorite lesson you'd like to share? And on that note, how can listeners soothe themselves if they're currently stressing about a mistake they made?
1: I heard this from a Peloton class once, (laughs) where they said, like, you have to say no sometimes like more often than not in order to say hell yes to other things. Mm-hmm. And so I think like early on I made a lot of mistakes in saying yes to every project or yes to every opportunity to the point where I would constantly burn myself out or honestly do poor work because I shouldn't have said yes because I didn't have the expertise. And so I think like saying yes when I shouldn't have or or been more honest about what my experience was I think is something that I've learned now to to be really specific about these are the things I'm great at that I can help you with and these are the things that are off limits but I will uh, give you other people that are going to do a great job so I think learning how to say no (laughs) more often
0: yeah I can relate to the difficulty of doing that but I love what you said about how it it sort of sets the bar for those moments where you can more confidently say hell yes So I like that those two go hand in hand for you.
1: Yeah, freeze up opportunities.
0: Yeah. Well, you just said one of the magic words, burnout. So I want to ask you, (laughs) what what advice do you have for people experiencing burnout?
1: You have to just like stop (laughs) doing everything. Like, I think when we're burned out, we try to go into overdrive to like get things done so we can relax and you're just not going to be productive. The work's not going to be good you're not going to be happy. Like you have to take a step back. And that's a lot of times comes with really hard conversations. Like, hey, I need to step away for X amount of time. Or I know I committed to this project, but I cannot do it any longer. This is why this is like, you know, somebody else that can take over. I think burnout sucks. And when it happens, you have to really give yourself time to heal. Because that's what it is. Like, when you feel approaching is ideally when you can make those shifts and changes so that you don't hit it. But if you've hit it, like you really have to like stop and reset and that sucks and it's hard and I'm not going to sugarcoat it.
0: You gave me some of some really great advice once, um, when I was experiencing some burnout and it was, to make a list of the things that you are missing and unable to get to as a result of your plate being too overloaded. And that was so impactful. I think we talk about it in the wrong way sometimes, and that was such a great way to think about it from a solutions, more more solution oriented standpoint.
1: I remember that what happened. So I was saying to my manager, hey, I feel like I'm approaching burnout a few times and there wasn't much change happening because they were probably also approaching burnout and they weren't trying to burn me out or anything like that. But the reality is that I could do a lot. Like I had an absurd plate of work in front of me and I was like, hey, I can't, I feel like I'm missing things. I'm not doing my best work. And that is what burned me out. And so I felt like I wasn't getting through. So I made this list here's all the things I'm not doing that are part of my job that I'm supposed to do. It was like sending status reports. It was like important shit. <laughs> and so I had um, this document and I went to him and it was like two pages long, like single spaced. And I was like, Hey, these are all the things I'm not doing because I'm not getting to it. And you think I had like keeping my head above water because I am doing the very most important things. But like, these are all the things I'm dropping. And I think sometimes that feels really scary to go to a manager Mm -hmm. and be like, hey, these are the things I'm dropping. But I got to the point where I was like, something bad is going to happen. Like, we're going to lose a really big client. Like, we're going to owe a client money. Like, it's not going to be good, right? And so I was like trying to be proactive by Mm -hmm. honestly putting myself at risk a little bit. But when they saw that and they know me, they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. And immediately we hired three people. <laughs> you really hired them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but I think the takeaway there is that it's such a tangible way of showing burnout. It's not enough to show emotion sometimes and say, yeah. I'm burnt out. I I can't do this anymore. But when you put the when you put it into perspective of here's what the business will miss out on as a result of this burnout, that's not just an emotion. It has a domino effect. Um, so I think that was just a really, yeah, whether or not you believed it at the time, it was a really productive way to stress burnout and figure out a way forward.
1: Well, I think it's hard for people to see what others are experiencing and what their what their to do lists look like. And in my last role, I went I witnessed this a lot. They'd be like, "Well, what is what is your team doing every day? What is each person doing?" And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, like all of these things." But higher up, they didn't see that stuff, like every single mm-hmm. to do item. And also, like it is a great opportunity to do a ruthless prioritization exercise too, because you could sit with your manager and be like, "Okay." If I can't get another person on my team, delegate some of this work away or whatever, like, let's go through this list and decide what's not going to get done on it (laughs) because we can't do everything. There's not enough hours in the day.
0: Absolutely. What is one of the most worthwhile investments you've made thus far? And this could be an investment of money, time, energy, et cetera. What comes to mind?
1: Hands down, it's like personal development. So memberships I've joined to kind of level up my skills and meet people that are kind of ahead of me in what I want to be doing. Mm -hmm. And also education, like I joined section school and I take their product classes. Like I'm always trying to like learn more and level up and become a better person and, and better at what I do. I've worked with coaches who like mindset work coaches and leadership coaches. I invest money into that stuff and time. And I think it's really important. I read self-development books like it's nobody's business. (laughs) I think, uh, yeah, for me, that's my best investment in my time and money.
0: You're so good at making time for that. That's really commendable. Um, do you have any advice for people who feel like they're time poor and, and feel stuck in terms of making time for self-development or career development?
1: Yeah, I think people, um, don't have the right idea about what it means to be productive. Like Mm -hmm. if I go for a walk during the day and I listen to a book that is productive because I'm recharging, I'm getting inspired. And when I come back to my desk to work on something, my work's going to be better. (laughs) And so that's productive too. So I think I, I don't know what it is. It's like maybe generational or something, but there's this idea like, oh, I have to be chained to my desk for eight plus hours a day and like produce work for that eight hours. Like, especially if you're in some kind of creative field, that's impossible to be on that much time. Like, and I think so. For me, I would suggest if I was going to give a tip, start with a 15 minute walk where you listen to a podcast or an audiobook. Like, that's how I that was my gateway drug. <laughs>
0: I couldn't agree more my one of my favorite things to do is to walk my dog and listen to a podcast so that I can both be outside with my body and learn something new and it's It's just the best combo.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And it's not like every time you listen to a book or a podcast, it needs to be that topic. Like I'm listening to a book for fun right Mm -hmm. now. I like love a good murder podcast. Like not everything has to be um, self-development and business books. But I do think that that's a really good way to stay inspired and level up and, and be productive in a different way.
0: Absolutely. When you think about the talent teams you've been around how might they think more like a product leader or UX leader to improve their ways of working?
1: I think there's an opportunity to, under it's kind of like the full UX process, like understand the problem, it's the beginning. So a lot of times I see organizations plug a problem with the wrong role. And mm-hmm. so making sure the role is actually the role they need. And obviously like different Talent teams are gonna like different people on that team are gonna have different niche expertise, and so saying like, "Hey, these are the the kind of like job functions or things that the organization needs." Like, is this the right role? Is this the right title? Is this the right seniority? Like, those are the questions, like probing with that in the beginning to make sure that gap is really understood before deciding how to fill it. Yeah, I just see like so many people be added to teams that weren't necessarily the role that was needed. I was talking to a woman recently um, that is a potential client of mine. We've been having chats and she, I told her what I do and she was like, oh my gosh, like I wish I had hired you instead of a fractional COO three months ago. (laughs) I was like, "Ugh! (laughs) like it's a really different role, but it's also like, like I would have solved her problem. And she thought she needed a different thing because founders, especially like don't know what roles they need um, unless they have been in that role previously. They're kind of like not sure exactly what person to bring in, what kind of expertise they need. And I think that's a big gap, especially for founders.
0: Sure. If someone wanted to pivot into product from something like design or even recruiting, for instance, what's something you'd say to them to increase their confidence in making the move?
1: Well, you can do anything that you want to do. Like, if you really want something, then you're going to work hard at it. The more you believe, like, this is the thing I want to be doing, and the more you love it, the more you're going to bust your butt to get there. And so I always say, like, if, and I teach UX design now, I teach at a boot camp school, And you can always tell which students are going to be successful. And it's the ones that are like really passionate and driven to do it. And I always say like I could teach anyone any of these skills as long as they're passionate about learning and they're curious and they want to follow that path. So if they're at all like passionate or curious, then they can absolutely do it. And it doesn't matter what your background is. Like it doesn't matter because any skills are transferable in some way and you just have to identify what those things are and You might not get your dream job as a ux designer at spotify from day one but you can certainly like understand that that's your north star and then work toward that by working at a different music company or a different streaming app or making passion projects until you get there like it's about dedicating yourself to that dream
0: sure Have you ever done anything uh, to stand out when applying to a company like Spotify or, (laughs) I don't know, maybe Peloton? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs)
1: Um, I did get an interview with Peloton. (laughs) I recorded a video of myself, like, reading a cover letter on a Peloton bike. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I love that. (laughs)
1: Yeah. But I also, with Boss Babe, I made a video. So that's where I've been head of product the last year. I made a video like talking about how I was their next head of product and why, and I branded everything to like their brand and I sent it to their COO on LinkedIn and I got that job. So that the Peloton one's more of a funny, but the Boss Babe one worked. So yeah, I'm a big fan of like videos because you get to show your personality and then also it takes more effort. <laughs> than writing something. And it's really clear like how personalized the application is and I think helps stand out.
0: Sure. Yeah. I love that. I think it can be a winning solution or idea to stand out in a crowd, although not every time. (laughs) I have seen some videos that I think missed the mark, but if you do it right, it can be a really great way to to stand out. Moving into some founder-focused questions, how did a career in product and design prepare you to build your own company? Becky, it seems like you're great at following your own advice and, and trusting yourself. I want to hear about a time when someone else gave you great advice and what that advice was that stuck with you.
1: I think it probably has to do with leadership and meeting people where they're at. Like if I have advice for myself or, okay, this is how I would handle it, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work one for one for somebody else. So understanding where they are and taking their temperature on like how they're feeling and then meeting them where they are, because not every person is going to respond the same to the same energy or leadership style. And so as like a manager, understanding different people and different personality types, um, to be able to give back to them like, okay, this is what you should do next. Because the way I work could be totally overwhelming to somebody else and, and vice versa. Like maybe they need more detail or less detail. And so I think understanding like how I like to work and then how I'm my team likes to work and then making sure I meet them where they're at. I'm thinking, I'm trying to think where this came from, probably the Julie Zoo again, because she has this like a guide to working with in her book where she talks about how she says, like, here's how to work with me, and these are the things I care about. And so I always, like, try to approach teamwork that way to make sure I can meet people where they are.
0: That's cool. I wonder if Julie is who inspired a manager I worked with. I've seen that before where I've had a manager... Create a document that says exactly that. Here's how to work with me. And I think that could be a really valuable tool to implement across all kinds of teams and business. Um, you know, we do a lot of, we have you know, there's a lot of conversations around things like which Enneagram are you or Myers-Briggs, but maybe it's as simple as, you know, writing a quick rule book, handbook for how best to, to work with you um, without slapping confusing titles on it and just get straight to the point. So I, I do like that and see the value in that.
1: Yeah. And some people like, it's good to understand what people's triggers. are. Like some people don't like to get a phone call and this can be like an, an accessibility thing, all kinds of things. But like some people just don't like a cold phone call. Like they want a warning before you call them. Like little things like that, that people can tell you like, Hey, these are the things that I prefer <laughs> in a working environment and setting up. It allows you to set boundaries, which is crucial
0: <laughs> to teamwork. Gosh, I missed the days where it was okay to just call somebody up. <laughs> um, you can call me Anna anytime,
1: Jillian. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, so a lot of people talk about morning routines, but I want to know, what's your post-work routine? How do you shut off for the day? Oh,
1: good. I'm, I don't want to tell you about my morning routine. You'd laugh. <laughs> like, I don't have one. Um, <laughs> okay. How do I shut off for the day? It's a good question because I work remote from home and I never leave this room you're seeing. And so it's hard because I'm always here. So for me, I definitely try to do like a long walk with my dog outside. And I don't, that that is usually a point in time where I don't listen to like mm-hmm. a book or something because I just want to reset, enjoy the, the sun, last bit of sunshine, depending what time of year it is. I might do like a phone call to like my mom or my sister or a friend uh, or listen to music or something, but not like any self-development books or or things like that. But yeah, a walk and sometimes most days a workout.
0: I I appreciate that. There's a time and a place for the (laughs) self-development and a time and a place for music and phone calls. For sure. (laughs) Let's switch into uh, talking about talent for a minute. What advice do you have for people looking to make their first hire?
1: I'd probably do an inventory of what are the things you love doing that you're great at. What are the things that you like doing? What are the things that you're like doing, or sorry, you're great at but you don't like doing, and the things that you don't want to do. Because those, those two bottom quadrants are the ones you want to delegate. And then, write a job description. Like, who is this person? Or is it one person? Like, and is a full time role the answer? Or is it that you need to hire a part time person to support some of these things? Like, I think people either have you always like hire too soon or too late. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I would say hire sooner than you think you need to just like, even if it's on a part time basis, because that really like unlocks your time to allow you to focus on that high value stuff. Like, if you're constantly doing the same tasks over and over, that's something you could probably uh, set up a, a standard operating procedure, an SOP for, and delegate away to a VA or a social media person or whatever the stuff is that's bogging you down. Like, Delegate that away sooner than later. I love
0: that advice.
1: Yeah, I need to take my own advice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, what, what's important to you when making a hire?
1: Um. I think it goes back to that curiosity and drive. Like I care a lot more about interest in the role and the topic and the curiosities there than I do. Do they have the skills because I can teach that stuff? Like, and that's just my approach to leadership and I love teaching and mentoring. So for me, that's what I care about. It's like, are you super driven and curious and interested and love learning? Then like, great. (laughs) And you're interested in X topic perfect. Um, but that, that's like the main thing I would say that I look for an eagerness to learn.
0: I love that. And I think listeners would love that and be, you know, motivated by that, have hope in hearing that. So that's great. Um, what would be a red flag to you when it comes to hiring talent?
1: Ego. Like when you're like not giving props to anyone else, just yeah sharing a little bit too much in the I did this I did this I did this when in reality it takes a village and like this whole story I've shared in this interview right like I was able to do all of this because of the village I have around me (laughs) like my husband and my um my friends and my family and like the support network like yeah it's it's not caring about people that push you down, but it's also like I have a ton of people lifting me up. And so I think it's important for people to give kudos to everyone in their lives or in their previous roles that helped them. And so if somebody is like going on and on about how great they are and only like sounding very egotistical, like for me, that that's actually probably the number one thing I've said. No, it's never been like, oh, their portfolio's trash. It's like... (laughs) Mm, the ego is hitting me wrong on this one. Cause that's for me, that's a flag.
0: I'm with you. I I definitely pick up on how often people use I versus we, and, you know, I think we're oftentimes taught to, or encouraged to sell ourselves, but what gets lost in there is you still need to be able to give credit where credit is due, like you said. And I think people really appreciate and and see, you know, they read between the lines when people can use the word we over I. It does show that they're a team player and what they'll be like as a leader in your company. So I love that you've called that out. Okay, okay. <laughs> Forward looking, Becky, what are some exciting opportunities you see on the horizon for your industry?
1: Well, my industry is very much rooted in like community and education and tech right now. Um, I think there's a huge opportunity with healthcare overlapping those. So uh, healthcare companies that are really considering like, how do you support patients when they're along a hard journey or their family in whatever they're going through? And so I think that there's a lot of opportunity for education in that space, um, at home programming and, community and building belonging and connection because, yeah, there's just not a lot of that right now. And I think that there's a huge opportunity for kind of those markets to intersect. So I'm excited about that. I'm sure I'm supposed to say like, oh, AI and all Mm -hmm. of the like opportunities that are coming with that. But I do think from like my productivity, like nerdy brain is like, I think AI is going to unlock a lot of freedom and opportunity for us to be able to delegate and productize away the things that take up time and be able to focus on really valuable work. And so that also is something I'm excited about.
0: Cool. Exciting. What's something that everyone in your industry or people in your industry should start or stop doing?
1: Um, Well, I work with a lot of like ed tech and course creators and I think they should stop assuming what the transformation is and what they need to teach and start like finding those students before like uh, deciding what their course is and really understanding what their problem is, what they don't know and testing their ideas. I see a lot of like full course development and a lot of full ed tech product development and then it goes to market and it's like, have you, like it hasn't been tested. And so I would love to see more ux like testing earlier stage of in that industry it just really hasn't hit there yet
0: okay <laughs> do you so let's move into our fast facts round guac or queso guac guac early fully remote or hybrid
1: Okay, fully remote. But I like like at Boss Babe, we had retreats where we got to go in person um, and that was really cool. And so now being a small business owner remote, that can be isolating. And so I'm doing a lot of like going to conferences and meeting up with my online friends in person at conferences, which is super cool.
0: Uh, (laughs) Favorite product you currently can't live without? I'm such a broken
1: record on this, but I love my Peloton, (laughs) like Peloton (laughs) digital app. We have the bike, like I'm always doing meditations on there, exercise. Like I just, it's my favorite product.
0: That's awesome. When you find something you love, you love it. That's great. Becky, what's a final thought you want to leave our listeners with?
1: We talked a lot about like following your dream or your passion or your curiosity And I think like find the people in your life that are going to believe in that dream with you and encourage you because so much of the success I've had, I really attribute to the, the village around me, encouraging me and, and not pulling me down, but really pushing me up. And if you don't have that in your immediate circle, there are communities that you can join. Like many awesome communities online exist that can really encourage you to take that next step or, um, reach that next level. And if you can see less, like, or if you have this dream or belief that you want to achieve something, you can do it. You just have to take aligned action to get there.
0: I love it. Well, thank you for always being someone who has inspired and motivated me to do those things. I, I really look up to you as a leader and a founder. Congratulations on everything so far with BPD Strategy. I wish you all the best, Becky, and I can't wait to see what you do next.
1: Thanks, Julianne. You're the best. Thanks for having me on the show. Yay.